Well, friends, it's good to be with you. If we haven't met, my name is Adam. It's my joy and privilege to be one of the pastors here. And I want to start off today with a little trivia time. So I'm going to read a company's vision statement, and let's see if you can match it with the company. So first up, this is to be the world's most loved, most efficient, and most profitable airline. Who do you think it is? Oh, you're on it. Southwest. Very good. We had an American Airlines pilot in the first service, and he said something hilarious I won't repeat, so... Uh, Have you ever heard this tagline? Ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. It's a very fancy hotel. No? We're looking for the Ritz-Carlton. Maybe above Carney's, uh, you know. (laughs) Is that the Super 8? No. No. (laughs) What about this one? I thought this was ambitious. To do everything possible to expand human potential. Yeah, it's bold. What about just do it? You heard of that? Nike. That's right. That's right. Uh, How about this? To craft the brands and choice of drinks that people love. Somebody said it. It's Coke. Yep. Coca-Cola. All right. Last one. To be one of the world's leading producers of entertainment and information. Not Netflix. Disney. Somebody had it. Very good. Again, I thought that was pretty bold. That was pretty bold. So at the heart of any good organization is their reason for existence. They're, they have clarity about their vision. Yogi Berra was a baseball player and, a, and I guess philosopher. And he once said, if you don't know where you were going, you might end up someplace else. So there you go. So it's important to know uh, what your purpose is, where you're headed, what you're trying to do. And the church is no different because it's an organization made up of people. And so I don't think it's, it's too corporate to have a vision for what we're trying to do together. Uh, the difference is our reason for existence is not a product. It's not flights or hotels or shoes or soda. Our reason for existence is a person. And so our vision for our church, what we aspire to be, what we feel God calling us to be, is a community of unlikely friends following Jesus together. That's what this three-week sermon series has been all about. A couple weeks ago, we tried to define what it means to be unlikely friends, and we looked at Jesus calling all sorts of people to himself, that Jesus called people together who wouldn't call each other, that on paper it didn't make sense that Jesus would call laborers like fishermen to be in a close circle with tax collectors and political revolutionaries. Last week, Pastor Mitch described what it means uh, for us to be in a community that, that growing in faith together takes the, these ingredients of grace, truth, and time. Grace that we would know that we're for each other, that we're in each other's corner, that we would gather around the truth that God has revealed in the scriptures. And all of that takes time. These are the ingredients for growth. These are the things that encourage us and stretch us, and that's how growth takes place. So during the months of August and September, we're encouraging everybody to go to carney.church slash community. And in October, we're going to start an eight-week chunk of time where you'll have four weeks of this video content to kind of get you started. And then we'll have four weeks where we're going to follow along with the sermon series to help you form community and grow in your faith. I did youth ministry for a long time. And then I guess when I switched to grown people, I don't know quite how to say that. But when I became a big boy pastor or whatever, I thought, oh, man, this will be, this will be a lot different dealing with, with adults. 
it's, it's not. <laughs> right? What I've discovered is we don't really change much after we're 14. Right? Everybody needs to feel like they belong, to have some encouragement. Right? So it's, it's all the same. Man, it's just like my, my son's flag football team. When you sign up for Kearney Parks and Rec flag football or whatever sport, you can put in a little place to put a buddy on your team. So we're trying to take that approach. We think, well, usually the question, see, the question in youth ministry and the question in adults is also, it's not what are we doing, it's who's going to be there. Amen? And so if, if you can at least have one buddy with you, you can know you can have some backup. So we're encouraging people to sign up as a team, and we'll put you together in these groups. And if it's terrible, it'll only be eight weeks. Right? Uh, but no, we're, we're, really, we're really trying to give a mechanism for an organic process to help people form community. So we're excited about that this fall. A community of unlikely friends following Jesus together. So we've defined what it means to be unlikely friends. We, we put a lot of effort into trying to form community. Not an easy thing to do. So to wrap up this series, we're going to zoom in on what it means to follow Jesus together. What I hope we'll discover as we study God's word together is that following Jesus means serving like Jesus. One of the interesting parts of modern life is we can have so many options. Like I'm going to date myself here. Anybody remember must-see TV from the 90s? Like on Thursdays, man, like 30 million Americans would all watch the same three shows. Well, now it's not like that at all. If you can get like 6 million viewers, you're really doing something because we have all these different options. So to draw from my vast cultural wisdom is hard because I don't even know if we all watch the same stuff. So how many of us have seen Undercover Boss? You ever seen that show? Well, if you haven't, I got a little preview for you. Here you go. Tonight. Oh! The two bosses of one of America's fastest growing franchise companies go undercover together. Nick and Omar on the job. Giving up their executive lifestyles. Let's go, let's go. The founders of College Hunks Hauling Junk, Nick Friedman. Did that just slam with your fingers? And Omar Solomon. Got some fancy shoes for a dirty job. Will join their staff on the front line. Watch it. Oh. We could literally lose out on a couple hundred dollars because of this. After the worst year for business in decades. Business is down 50%. They want to find out if the company can not only survive, but thrive. Coming through. So the bosses will get hands-on with the company issues. And we question whether you are fit for this brand. I'm scared to death. Am I going to lose my business? Come face to face with some hard truths. It hurt my family because I ended up losing a lot of money before making some life-changing interventions. Never in my life did I think that something so gracious would come my way. All this next on Undercover Boss. So the whole point of the show is the CEO types step off of the yacht and onto the truck, right? That they would get to know the common person in their company and it expands their perspective. They become unlikely friends with the regular folks that, that work in their company. And usually by the end, there's, there's a lot of emotional scenes as they sort of elevate or, or do something incredible for these employees that are hardworking and, and really believe in what the company's trying to do. At the foundation of Undercover Boss is the juxtaposition 
of the white-collar executive doing the blue-collar dirty work. That's the same element that we find in John 13. The book of John is one of the gospels of Jesus, these biographies of Jesus' life, teachings, death, and resurrection. Gospel is a word that means good news. So these books contain the good news of Jesus. And in this episode, uh, Jesus is nearing the end of his time with his disciples, these close followers of his. These are some of the last conversations they'll have. And they're enjoying a meal together. They've gathered for a meal. That's the context of the conversation that Jesus is having with them. Hospitality was a huge deal in the first century. And when you entered a home, there was typically a jar of water, like a big jar and a basin to clean your feet. And there was usually a servant there that would do this duty. Well, it's just Jesus and the disciples. These are people who have argued, Scripture records, multiple times about who's the best among them, about who's the biggest deal. So imagine Jesus walking into the room with his disciples and them kind of looking around like, well, I'm not doing it. You, you should do it. I'm not cleaning everybody's feet. You should do it. And so I imagine that Jesus had some of those conversations in mind when he told them this in verse 4. Jesus got up from the meal, took off his clothing, outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is like undercover boss times 100. This was one of the lowest dirtiest jobs around, arguably the most humble position one could be in in the first century. So if any of you are nervous that we're going to do a foot washing, I'll just tell you right now, we're not. Okay, if you're like, oh, I'm a John 13, here we go, what are the chances? Right, so we're not going to do that. Some, some churches have done that. Not today. Uh, but even if, even today, unless you're a podiatrist or a, some type of profession, we don't touch people's feet. And that's in the 21st century. In the first century, they had all these dusty roads with animal refuse and whatever else all over the place on them. When it rained, they would get muddy. They had potholes in the first century. You don't know what was in those things. So it was one of the dirtiest, grossest jobs around. In verse 12, Jesus said, when he, Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And then he told them, Do you understand what I have done for you? This is what he asked them. I'm not sure the disciples could have possibly understood. One of Jesus' final acts was not only physically humbling himself to wash their feet, he was also metaphorically symbolizing the cleansing and washing of baptism. That represents our dying and rising with Christ. Jesus was foreshadowing his death and resurrection. And there was no way the disciples could have anticipated that. Jesus was reinforcing the posture of a servant. And this, I imagine, would have baffled the disciples. And so Jesus elaborates. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. A lot of times people conceive of following Jesus as a decision, say this prayer, or raise your hand, or come down to the front by the altar, or get baptized, and you're good to go. Now, let me be very clear. I love all those things. 
You know why we have this piece of furniture right here up all the time? This is our little baptism fount. This is, we have one where you get dunked, but this is like the, the one at the ready. We have this out every week just in case. It's there on purpose, just in case. So I love all of those things. They're, they're all good. But in my industry as a pastor, we like decisions because they're easy to count. We can measure those easily. But following Jesus is so much more than just one decision. It's a lifetime of discipleship, of making Jesus your teacher and your Lord, to learn from Jesus what true life really is and what really just doesn't matter, even though the world wants to tell us otherwise. To submit to Jesus as your Lord, which means we rearrange our priorities and we no longer pursue our own selfish interests, but instead live a life that honors Jesus. And Jesus set an example that we would live our lives after his posture of a humble servant. The boss is cleaning the toilets. That's our Lord and teacher. He told the disciples, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If Jesus is our Lord and teacher, and this is how he acts, this is what he does, how much more should we orient our life after the pattern he set? Friends, following Jesus means serving like Jesus. There are some people we serve and it feels great. Like when you have friends or family over to a meal, isn't it a great thing to cook for them and clear their plates and, and, and just take care of them? It's also easy to serve people who reciprocate it. I don't know if you've met our associate pastor, Kiray. It's like an argument over who's going to open the door for who when you're hanging out with Kiray. We were at La Fuente last week, and he got up to go to the bathroom and paid the bill so I couldn't get to it. So loving, serving people like Kiray is easy because he reciprocates it. That's easy. My patented move is to ask my mother-in-law after dinner if I can help do the dishes because I know she's going to say no. I'll even, I'll be sitting in my chair, I'll even kind of do the, like the partway get up. Like, Mary, you need some help with that? Oh, are you sure? Yeah, I'll double down. Are you sure? Because I'm, I'm ready. You know, I'm just, I'm just, this is the closest I get to, well, I don't even know what it's called, planking? Like, what's, you know, I'm, I'm elevated four inches above my chair, ready. Because I know she's going to tell me no. It's easy to offer to serve my mother-in-law. Because I love her and she loves me. It's easy. But serving folks that don't appreciate it, friends, that's the true test. I'd love to see a show of hands. I'd love to see a show of hands. Who's been in the wedding industry? Anybody? Anybody working catering? A couple of us. What about um, waiting tables? Anybody ever done that? That's closely related. Okay. I've DJed. Now, usually if I officiate a wedding, I've got my suit dry cleaned. I have the iPad of authority. People are generally nice to me. But I've DJed several weddings just for my friends, like on my own, and I've never been treated worse in my whole life. I've had to like, <laughs> had to like tell off somebody's high-strung auntie that was yelling at me about the music being too loud or what we were playing. And I was finally just like, listen, lady, I'm not getting paid for this, so I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> okay, I mean, people just treat, they think they're at the Ritz-Carlton, man, and they want to treat me like this lowly plebe. It's hard to serve people that don't treat you well. Jesus said he set an example for us. He washed the feet 
of his betrayer. He washed Judas' feet. I mean, I think we need to let that sink in for a minute. Serving people that we love, serving people that reciprocate, not that hard. Serving your betrayer is an example for us to follow. Finally, in verse 17, Jesus tells his disciples, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So in one sense, we can think, oh, okay, well, I'll humble myself, and I, I can take this low position because at least I'll get a reward. I can put up with, with the mean people at the wedding because I'll be blessed for it. But I, don't, I don't think that's what it is. I think the blessing is in the serving. You're blessed as you serve other people. I think that's the point. Following Jesus means serving like Jesus. And in our church, we want everything we do to be oriented around helping people follow Jesus. So for us, that's much more than just a decision. It's a lifetime of discipleship. So for us at our church, that has three components. To help people know Christ, grow together in faith, and to go serve the world in Jesus' name. I hope that every activity we do as a church, every effort we have, can be traced back to one of these three things. That's part of our vision. And I got some numbers to help you understand or to help quantify how we do this. I thought about bringing up a whiteboard, but then I thought, well, I'm not sure if everybody in the back could see it. So I hope this isn't too janky. I took some pictures of me writing on a whiteboard so they'd be bigger. <laughs> Plus, I didn't want to have my best side out there for like 10 minutes, okay? So <laughs> I'm going to stop there. Uh, so on this whiteboard, imagine the first thing I wrote would be community. That out there is the community. This is who our church is called to reach, to love, to serve. Whether that's in Kearney, Holt, Lawson, shoot, going down south into Liberty. I think it's all going to be one big corridor pretty soon anyway. We got folks that drive out to Kearney from Kansas City. So we can define community very broadly. Wherever you find yourself surrounded by, wherever you find yourself and the people you're surrounded by, that's the community that our church is called to reach. In what I call our orbit, or, or the people our church interacts with, that's roughly a thousand people, maybe a little more. A thousand people is what we can uh, worship at Easter, and that's what we get at Easter, and that's what we get at Christmas. We have 1,075 members, so that's probably on the low end, but there's at least a thousand people who in some way interact with our church. That's one-tenth of Carney, by the way, which blows my mind. So it's probably more than that, but that's a nice round number. Of those thousand people that interact with our church in some way, from January to May of this year, we averaged 557 people in worship. That's why we got out of fourth service. So that's whether it's online, in person, um, Sunday morning kids, 557 is what we averaged January through May. Then from there, there's between 120 and 200 people that participate in some type of group. The reason for the, those wide range of numbers is that we have some groups that meet multiple times a week. So we're not trying to like pad the stats. If you counted each person multiple times, it'd be over 200. But we have about 120 individuals that weekly participate in some type of group. I surveyed the staff and we counted up 173 people who serve regularly. And that's within our ministries. That's not counting outreach. 
And if, if you count vacation Bible school, you can add 80 to that number. But again, some of those people, we didn't want to double up. So it's somewhere between 170 and 250. So of the 557 we average, about a third of them serve in one form or another in our church's ministries. Now, friends, this is not, you know, when you go to like one of those timeshare sales pitches, I'm not like trying to capture you to guilt you. But if we're going to keep growing, we do need more people to serve in hospitality and children's ministry. We're trying to make room for more folks. And if we've got young families coming in, we need to have kids programming ready for them. So the reason we need more volunteers in those two areas is because we're expanding what we offer. Starting on August 20th, right? And so I hope you get so tired of seeing this picture. You're just like, we get it. I thought about getting 8, 9, 10, 11 tattooed on my arm. So... On August 20th, if you show up at 9.30, maybe that'll be good news because you've missed the sermon, all right? But it's at 9 and 10 is modern worship, and then our traditional worship's at 8 and 11. So if we're going to expand our services, we do need to expand the number of people serving, and that's a great thing. And so this is what our, do- our church does to help people know Christ, grow together in faith, and go serve. Worshiping is the main way we try to help people know Christ through the word, through song, through praying together, through being generous. And then we encourage people to grow in a group. We talked about that a little bit today. And then we want to help people serve by going to go, by going to serve the world. And so when you look at the numbers, there's kind of this funnel effect, right? Of the thousand people, about half of those average uh, in worship and about a third of those serve and a little less than that are in group life. So those, that's kind of by the numbers. Part of our job as the, as the staff is to help grow each of those different numbers. But this is, we like this side of, of, of things because, again, it's easy to quantify. But if we're going to go serve the world and all we want you to do is serve in the ministries of the church, I would say, no, that's not the point. We do want people to be able to find a way to use their gifts here. We do need people to serve if we're going to keep including people in this unlikely group of friends following Jesus together. But friends, make no mistake, the point of the church isn't just to get more people to come to church. It ain't just to pad the stats. It ain't just for my job security. The point of the church is to make disciples who leave the church to transform the world. That's the point. It's not up in these numbers, man. The point is that the funnel would go the other way. And we'd be drawing people in from our community but that we wouldn't just put them to work, that they'd be sent out back into the community. That's the point, man. And so it's a dual funnel. And we like the stuff on the left because we can count it. It's hard for me to quantify when people coach rec league soccer. It's hard for me to quantify some of the stories I'm about to tell you. But that's where the action is. The action just isn't just in here. It's out there, man. And so when you go through those exit doors, you are entering the mission field. That's the vision of the church, is to follow Jesus out where we really live. And so I want to keep this thing a manageable time. So I just wrote outreach up there because we have more outreach ministries than than I can list here. And we try to highlight those during offering. We try and talk about those with regularity. So we do have plenty of ways that you can intersect with people, that you can volunteer your gifts out in the world. But even if it's just limited to that, I think that's a myopic view. Meaning, we want to offer plenty of opportunities for people to serve both inside the church 
and outside the church through outreach. But ultimately, friends, there are a million ways to do this. And as your pastor, I'm trying to get you to understand what I hope you hear me say with regularity. You don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. That we would send you back out into the community and that your way of serving Jesus, your way of following his example would be your life. Not just the programs we try to arrange for you, although those are great. I literally dedicate my life to them, so I'm not bagging on them. I'm just trying to say that ain't it. That the action isn't just in here, it's out there. And I wanted to tell you some stories of some people that I think are doing a great job of this. There's a million ways to serve, and I'm going to lift up three. This is my man, Jeff. He has owned his own concrete and landscaping business for over 25 years. He's a part of our church. And it requires a lot of trust to hire a contractor, to invite them into your home, to get a project done on time and on budget. Amen? Okay. Jeff's company did some concrete work at our house. And, man, his, his crew, it was like a Tasmanian devil of efficiency. I mean, they, they were just, it was, there were just people everywhere doing, doing great work. And they took extra care of us. Uh, we had this garden stone that someone gave us uh, when my dad died. And we just kind of had it sitting on our back porch, didn't do a lot with it. And when we got done with the landscaping they had put together, somebody had had the thought to set it up in this beautiful, prominent place. And I just thought that was so caring and so kind. See, Jeff isn't just a contractor. He's a servant. And when you use your God-given gifts to serve others, friends, that's ministry. When you use your God-given gifts to serve others, that's ministry. This is my friend Johanna. She's a part of our church. She's a trained nutritionist, and she spent a lot of years in the healthcare system. As her career progressed, she started doing more managing of nutritionists, supervising other nutritionists, rather than being with clients. And that's where her true passion really is. And so this year, she's starting her own nutritionist practice. It's her passion to help people make lifestyle adjustments that fit their health goals and that produce long-lasting change. And it takes a special person to facilitate conversations about diet, exercise, calories, A1C, cholesterol. Mitch talked about his cholesterol last week. I was like, bro, better you than me. <laughs> like, if you think talking about money or religion is kind of touchy, talk, talking about weight, talking about diet, it takes a very special person. Those are very pastoral conversations. And so in that way, Johanna serves as people's nutrition pastor. This is how she serves. This is her ministry. I want to tell you about my man, Jace. He recently started his own lawn care business. I not only get to be his pastor, I'm also a customer. (laughs) This summer, I came to Jace and told him about a family at our church. They had recently received a difficult diagnosis and they needed somebody to take care of their lawn for several weeks. When I referred him to this family, I also talked to him about compensation for doing this work. And when Jace found out that it was because of a cancer diagnosis, he wouldn't let me pay him. He has mowed and edged and cared for this lawn in the heat all summer for free. So friends, when you think of Gen Z, I want you to take a good look at this picture and I want you to think of Jace. When you hear all that cynical junk about kids today on the news or social media, I want you to think about Jace. 
I'm proud that Jace not only made a decision to get baptized earlier this year, I'm so proud that he continues to live his life as a disciple by using the gifts he has to serve others. Isn't that incredible? He's out there busting his you-know-what for free. My man, Jace. Now, here's the thing. You should have seen me begging these people for permission to put their picture and their stories in this sermon. That's the thing about sermons, man. They don't want to be on the screen. That, that, that's just part of their character. They're not doing this to get any attention. They're just doing their ministry. Part of what convinced them was my pitch that it was providential that all their names started with J. <laughs> Jeff, Johanna, Jace, be like them. Be like Jesus. I thought that'll preach. That'll preach. So the letter for today is J. Very good, very good, very good. If you don't like it, don't tell me. I thought there was some beautiful symmetry there. Friends, following Jesus means serving like Jesus. You don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. Your opportunities to do that, we try and give you a nice menu here at church, but it is by no way limited to those things. In fact, you have a much greater capacity for ministry than you think. Because when you're out there living your life, you're a normal person. I've told you this a dozen times. You know what happens when people find out I'm a pastor? One of two things. They apologize for cursing earlier. Or they tell me about when the last time they went to church was and why it's been so long. That's what happens to me. So I have to go to great lengths just to appear a normal person. You get to go and do that in your place of work, in your home, in your neighborhood every day. So friends, you can serve in a variety of ways. You can serve in the church, and we need you. Nicole and Roxy, our children's and hospitality directors, they're gonna be out in the lobby. They'd love to help get you started. You can serve at our church through outreach, and friends, they'd love to have you. They need you. We got all sorts of great stuff going on, more than I have time to talk about. But friends, the point is to follow Jesus, to set, to, to, to live by the example that he set each and every day as we live our lives as his disciples. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for today and for the shocking, humbling example of you washing your disciples' feet. I pray that we would be both challenged and encouraged by the reading of your word and that we would leave this place with fresh eyes that you would give us the perception to see the opportunities where we can serve as we decide to follow you not just one time, but each and every day. Help us to live after your example. Help us to be your servants. Amen.